welcome to Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk with your host, C.J. Reynolds. Um, I am C.J. Reynolds. This is Sunday Night Teacher Talk. This is a safe space for you to explore and express who you are, what you think, what you feel. Um, usually within regards of education, but it could be about anything, right? So like, just let, uh, you know, you can put your question in the chat. We'll talk about anything that you like. Nothing is off the table. I won't be the only person that speaks to you. There will be a number of other people in the comment section that will speak to you too. And look, you know, what I was saying while I was still muted there was that I truly believe that this is one of, if not the most difficult time to ever be an educator in the world. And I mean, collectively, not like for individual schools have had much harder times, uh, I'm certain due to tragedies and things of that nature. But uh, collectively, there are so many teachers that are retiring early that are quitting. We've lost eight, nine teachers in the first three weeks of school at my school this year. Um, some people were slated to show up and never even showed up. Some people came in for a day, said, nope, I'm out. And because it's an overwhelming time for teachers. Uh, I'm certain that admin ha have a, a fair number of things too, but like as educators, it is, uh, it's just overwhelming. All the things that are being asked the students coming back and the behaviors that we're seeing in the classroom. And so what we're trying to do here is create a solutions oriented, uh, event every Sunday to try and get to the bottom of some of that stuff. So we're happy to take any of your questions about anything that you have. If you need anything else from us, you can shoot right over to realrapwithreynolds.com and you can find all the information there about speaking and books and resources and all kinds of stuff. Um, and uh, I think, uh, and I don't know, I forget what I was gonna say, but uh, you can follow us on social media as well. We're on all the major platforms. And um, with the idea of, again, putting out content that's going to help people to, to grow and to be the teacher that they were called to be. So with that, let's jump into some questions. Cool. All right. Our first question comes from Laura. She says, hi, Reynolds. I am struggling with a class of kindergarteners who are highly emotional students bolting from the room, throwing two year old like tantrum, et cetera, for the smallest of issues. As a result, teaching has become a job. I I now dread every single day. How do I protect myself emotionally and the rest of my class so that we can get through our days together? So, Laura, this is, I feel like this is what so many educators are feeling right now. So the, the reason I say that is like, um, you're certainly not in this alone. I've seen or heard about more people crying in my building in the last, in the last week even than ever in the collective history of my time at my school. So for the last 11 years, I have not, if we pulled all the people that have cried together that I knew about, that has been a lower number than in the last week at my school. And I think some of the stuff we're dealing with is, I don't know that anyone really knew, like it was all a guessing game, right? Thinking about like kids coming back into the building and how they're going to behave and what's going to be going on and, and how are we going to meet some of those behaviors and some of those needs. And everyone was really excited to see kids again, but then were met with a number of behaviors that we were not prepared for or trained for, or, or there, and there's not a protocol in the school and how to deal with it. So that that's happening like across the board. And so some of this is going to be figuring it out, but the, here's the good thing is that I think we can figure it out. I think that it's not, 
so far gone. It's not so awful that we can't um, come up with a solution on how to deal with this. And then going forward, know better th the next time. So it, it's kind of like when I see kids like it, the first year that I taught. So the, for those of you that are first year teachers, you'll see a number of behaviors this year that you're like, oh, my gosh, what the hell do I do with this? And maybe you figure them out and maybe you don't. But the reason the push, the right, the the, the mod motivation for why you should figure those out, those behaviors out is because those kids are just going to show up next year. They're going to show up next year, like in a different body. But those behaviors, those kids show up any number of times um, over and over and over again. And, and so it's best to figure out how we are going to deal with this. In your case, I, this really feels like it's got to be, it's bigger than you, right? So like the regular stuff isn't working. This needs to be some sort of systematic approach um, where I would try and talk to whether it's other kindergarten teachers at your school, whether it's the administration, whether it's um, you know, like the parents, but it is trying to figure out why is Tim throwing a temper tantrum in the middle of class? Why is Kelly running out the room? Like, we're this isn't this isn't okay. You're under my supervision now. You just like bolted, and now what am I supposed to do? Like, leave the room and go after the one kid, or like stay with the majority and wish them well? Like, as they're out there and navigating the hallways, like it that has to come from the top down. And I think when these things happen. Teachers have a tendency not to really ask admit admin or push back at admin when they do give a suggestion. And the problem with that is that it never gets fixed. But I think a lot of times people don't go to administration because they don't want to look weak or because they think admin is overwhelmed. Leadership is leadership because they were called to be leaders. And so when we know that it is this is what they signed up for was to help collectively solve problems across the school that learners and students and I can't stand that I just said learners. Um, and I can't even go into why, but like it is, uh, it is partnering with admin as to what we can do. So sometimes the best way to get an answer, I just had a video came out about this last week on how to get anything you want in the classroom. It is maybe having some solutions, having some ideas, and then going to administration with what that's going to look like. But I would come out with um, a handful of like ideas. I would talk to other kindergarten teachers, see what they're experiencing and see what's working. Um, and then go to the administration to really try and find like what the, what the answer is going to be there. So she asked, how do I protect myself emotionally? Oh, all right. So I, I think for that, look, um, this last week was a hell of a week. I went, I had a student funeral that I had to leave school for. I had to go get a COVID test last week on Monday. So I missed school. Um, it's just been, it's been a real messy, messy week. Yesterday, it, Saturdays are supposed to be my Sabbath, but it's really hard not to do work because there's always something pressing. There's always some brand that needs something back immediately or something filled out or whatever. Um, we went to a fall festival at like nine o'clock in the morning. Um, and then uh, we did something before that too. I don't even remember where we went. Well, like shopping or something. Yeah, we were just out and about early yesterday early. and spent our whole day out. And it was really, we didn't get home till like 10 o'clock last night or mm -hmm. something. Then, right. Like we just went to like three fall festivals, a book festival. We went out and got coffee at some Starbucks and sat in front, like old people, like sitting at the tables, like, um, stayed up late, ate good food. Like, and I think that 
what I was feeling last night was this sense of rejuvenation, but it's because I'm pouring back into myself and I'm drawing boundaries on what I will work with, what I won't work with, what I will accept and what I won't accept. So even with regards to school and the overwhelming amount of work that has been given to us, it's really just about creating boundaries. So I would look into, I think I mentioned this last week, uh, Dr. Henry Cloud. Uh, don't have to read the book, just look up the podcast. Um, there's a bunch of podcast that he has around creating boundaries and i think boundaries are good because it it in like it's like when i'm in the when i'm in the shower i'm not taking a phone call i'm right i'm in the shower it's just not going to happen when i'm brushing my teeth i'm not going to take a phone call or answer email because i'm brushing my teeth and so the things i'm doing for me i'm protecting myself against the the attention that the world wants and when i'm giving something my attention i'm protecting myself against all the other things that things want so like so like lesson planning is a new thing in school this year that people really want to push on us and, and the admin really wants done. Um, but they gave that to us with 10 other things. And the Internet doesn't work in my school like barely ever. So I have an hour lot allotted for lesson planning time during the week to actually write lesson plans so I can submit them. If that hour doesn't happen because the school's Internet goes down because something else called for my attention because a student needed something, then it just doesn't happen the end. Like I'm not going to make it up somewhere else because all of my time is allotted. It is all pre-planned. Um, so if something doesn't happen, then I'm not making up for it on the back end if to, for some sort of like bureaucratic reason, like doing lesson plans or something like that. So um, I think it's, it's, it's taking time for yourself, meaningful time for yourself that's restorative and then creating boundaries around that so that no one can mess with it. That was a very long answer. Let's jump into the next question. Okay, Brittany is asking, hello. I know you always say that kids will think we're we're so old, but I'm not seeing that yet. What are good comebacks or better ways to deal with it when students ask your age? I'm 25. Uh, so I, and you're very young looking. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so being young looking is going gonna, is gonna to affect that. Uh, you know, I think it is. It's, I don't, I mean, you could make stuff up. You could just tell kids you don't want them to know. Um, you could say, I'm not really sure. I was raised by wolves in the woods and no one did it. Uh, yeah, you could say, mind your business. <laughs> you could, like, I just think like, I would have like a one-liner locked and loaded. And then every single time a kid asks, I would just use that. Like kids ask all the time. They're like, do you dye your hair? And I go, no, it's all my wisdom. Like they just always like, because kids, all, they want to know about you. Um, but it's, you know, asking kids like, well, how old do you think I am? And then whatever they say, like, I'll go with that. Yeah, let's go on, move on. And then just moving on to the next part of the lesson. Um, cause you know, it, some of it is kids just want to know. They're just curious. Your age though, doesn't equate to them anything, right? Like I, I will say that, that largely, like, unless you're really like teaching seniors and you're 22, like your age doesn't equate, um, knowledge it doesn't equate what you're capable of or incapable of it doesn't uh address like how new you might be to something um so when i first started teaching i didn't tell anyone how old i was and i didn't tell anyone how long i had been teaching um it's it's just you know that's the answer so i or, or i say like hey that's a great question ask me after class and i'll talk to you about it but right now i need to make sure i get through what i need to get through the end so you didn't say you're not going to ask it but or answer it but like just ask them later uh and yeah so maybe i'm erica whitchurch said how old are you old enough <laughs> right just a witty quip i think yeah will probably suffice most kids like they'll still ask you yeah 
Okay, Tom Eggers is next and he is asking, hi, any tips on how to motivate students to a subject they dislike when the fact is some of them don't even know why they go to school in the first place. I teach music in a high school. So look, especially when you're teaching music or art or like, uh, like something that is not directly that students don't like connect with like getting into college. It's like, that's one of the the subjects that I feel like so often kids are just like, why do we need to take this? I'm not going to be a musician. I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to play the recorder for the rest of my life. And you should, because it would be freaking hilarious if you played the recorder. And I just say that because that's what everybody had to play. I feel like in elementary school, it is reverse engineering for kids. It's knowing, it's knowing hardcore why your subject's important and why it's, it, it plays a part, but it's also having kids reverse engineer their lives so that they can see the part that what you're doing plays. That it's not just music for music's sake, but what is it? Like, Thomas, you have to know wholeheartedly like why music is important and not just why it was important to you when you were a kid, but why music should be important to everyone. Like when we talk about music, we talk about it like so if for my history of hip hop class, we talk about music being like the one art form, the art form that the most quickly can shift your mindset. That if you're in a bad mood and the right jam comes on, you feel different. That if you're sad and the right jam comes on, you feel consoled. That if you know you're trying to get someone to make out with you, you got to put the right jam on. Don't go putting on RX bandits and so well, that really dated me, but like don't go put on RX bandits and like th thinking that someone's it's like a makeout session, right? You got, you know, it's like Barry White or the Commodores or something, I don't know, smooth. Um, and I'm not very smooth, so that's why I didn't even say smooth smoothly. So it's it is figuring out like what is this thing? Why is it important? Why do we even have it in school? And then how is this going to affect all of your other things that you do in your life? And I, so I think that that's, that's important. Um, and then sometimes who cares if you like my subject? I don't care if kids love reading. I want them to so bad, but my, my driver can't be whether or not everyone likes what I'm doing. But what I can do, if you really, really hate it, is help you to get through something that you don't like. A kid not liking your subject doesn't have, it doesn't always have something to do with you, right? Just, just be that they don't think they're a math person, a science person. They don't think they're a reader. Um, they don't think that they're athletic. So why does gym matter? They're not a musician. So why am I in music? Because in life, sometimes we have to do things that are difficult. Sometimes we have to do things that are hard. Sometimes we have to do things that we don't want to do. Can you figure out a way to get through something like this that is going to be difficult? Because that will make all the difference in your life. And so that's something that I'd really communicate with, with students and say, like, look, you don't want to take this? I don't care. I have kids in my hip hop class that hate it all the time. They're like, I don't want to do this. Why am I doing this? Why? I don't care how a DJ works or how a turntable works or how a record works or like where breakdancing came from. They don't, they don't care, but it's like, okay, bet. Can we figure out a way on how to get through things that are difficult in life that we don't want to do? That is a lesson that all students can learn. And then maybe through them doing that and through your connection and your relationships and, and the things that you're doing, maybe they end up, connecting more than they thought, but that's where I would start. Did you lose oh, a question? Dang it, yes, because there's so many comments, which is fine. Everyone's chatting with each other. Meatball Molly had a question about um, 
ULD, which is Universal Design for Learning, I think. I think that's what we decided on. Uh, I read in the comments. Now I don't know what the question was. Meatball Molly, if you're there, if you can put it back in. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Sorry. That happens sometimes. Um, um, okay, so I'm just going to have to pick I wish one from you could where I'm at. Search. Well, it doesn't let you go back. I meant she put it in at 103 in the thing, and it doesn't, it don't, it's only going back to 1011. Oh, 1011. 111, sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, Okay, so we're gonna go with Sophie is asking, cool. how do I learn? How do I learn student to learn effectively? Um, what are the best learning skills you advise? For example, how to learn new words of a foreign language? Um, I, you know, that's such a big question, Sophie. I think that that's gonna matter. That's gonna be based on like what your grade level is, what level the the class is at. So like, is it like, so our school teach, students have to take Latin. So there's Latin one, two, and three. Um, and then I don't, there's four years of high school. I'm not sure what they do with that fourth year. Maybe there's Latin four. I don't really know, but uh, there are levels to it. And then it's based on like, what are students learning styles? So I would say for anything, it's about figuring out where your students are in reality, not just on some star test that like no one really cared about or anyone really paid attention to, because may maybe some kids do. Um, but I know collect like historically our school, like we take it every year, we take these different tests, map testing and stuff like that. But like the students like don't really care about it. So they just like blow it. And then you have kids that are in honors that have like abysmal scores. And we just know that they're not that that they are far more capable than, than what they're showing. So it's figuring out where they truly are and then knowing as a school where you think they should be. And then how are we going to try and get them from here to here? One of the ways to do that is to know your students and know how they learn. So learning the best ways that they like, are, are they audi auditory learners? Are they visual learners? Are they kinesthetic learners? Like what, what is it that, that the way that they best sort of like engage and retain information and then figuring out what they're interested in. So like always knowing what students are interested in so that you can focus what you're doing through a lens that they already care about. Um, and then rigging the game so that they can win. Look, I'll, I'll tell you right now that I have a lesson coming up. I took this, uh, I took this idea from uh, a newer friend that I made. There's a guy, Ty cook, um, cook in the classroom, I think is his Instagram and, and, uh, and TikTok name. So Ty Cook has this idea where he took candles, remote control, uh, battery powered candles, and then I guess through fishing line, like attached them to the ceiling of his room. So it looks like Hogwarts in there. So I'm going to do this for a ghost story unit that we're going to do like this very brief one, like three day unit that we're going to do mini unit um, where we're going to black out the room, black out all the windows and hang these, these, candles from the ceiling and stuff and like make it super cool and like read ghost stories. It's gonna be awesome. But, um, there are, there's already a class that I have that, you know, like this is not going to work. Like I cannot do this with them because they have their energy is not the right kind of energy for this. They're not the right, like they're not the, the learning style that this would best work for. They are far more like, give us the work, let us do it. Let's review it. Like it's a more, uh, I don't know if I want to say scholarly, but they're just like not having the let's make let's read ghost stories in a, in a haunted kind of room kind of a thing. They're just like they're not having that. 
Um, and a lot of the behaviors that are exhibited in the class when we do try and do something that's fun or or has more choice or something like that, like it, those, they work against what we're trying to do. So it's about really knowing who your students are so that you can dial in a class and create an, uh, an environment that's going to best suit them. So what that isn't is taking away fun or joy or happiness, but it is, it is me stepping away and going, this isn't about what I want to do or the classroom transformation that I'm interested in or the thing that I think is cool. It's getting real dialed in on who your students are, what they need, where they need to go, and then getting them there. And I, so I think that, that that's my quickish answer on that. Hi. Maisha <laughs> uh, is next. I don't know. My buddy? I don't know if you can answer this one. She says, I am in need of a new teacher bag and I'm falling down a rabbit hole of looking. Any recommendations? No backpacks. So that's a good question. Where would you go for? I've got, I've long I since. Look at all those I don't even take a backpack. I take nothing home anymore, except for my disgusting juice container. Um, where would you go for that? I don't know. I seriously would go watch female YouTubers and see what they. Somebody's <laughs> got to have an answer for this. Chris Carson, what are we doing for teacher backpacks or not backpacks but bags? Uh, someone in here has to have an answer for my friend Maisha Hutchinson as to where to get. Uh, a new teacher bag that is not a backpack. Maybe you should ask in the group. I feel like everyone will would love. Oh my gosh, you'll get like eighty-five answers. Question. Yeah, because yeah. it doesn't have to do with like, it's it, it, it's a nice one. Right. Okay. Um... Take your time. I'll sing. Oh, that's not a question. Oh. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. There's so much. No problem. Right now. Okay. Question number one, I teach AVID. It is a college readiness class. Yep. And one of my seventh graders who is a good kid, but has made some bad decisions, has repeatedly been rude to another student in a different class. This violates our AVID contract that the students have to sign. I am having a private conversation with her and the other teachers on Monday. Any advice? So I, I think you're moving in the right direction, having the conversation with her and with other teachers. Um, I, I'm wonder. I'm curious as to like what happens to that student if they do violate the agreement um, that I have a real hard time with pushing students out of classes because of behavior. I used to not have a problem with this. I used to, I used to have this mindset that like being in honors meant that you had to be honorable. Um, and I no longer think that I think that school has done students wrong um, and that they sometimes show up and exhibit behaviors and we have to help them to figure those things out. Uh, now, not going to my school is is a different animal. Like if you get put out of school and sent somewhere else, that's more um, that is better equipped to deal with a student with your unique uh, differences. We'll say so like if a kid really, really has is struggling with social emotional care and they can go to somewhere that provides like a deeper level of counseling. If someone is exhibiting like really egregious uh, behaviors in class that are that are hurting those around them, um, then it's, of course, being mindful of keeping all the kids safe in class. And maybe that student is better suited. Student is better suited to go to a school that is going to fit them and be able to help them um, learn how to how to behave uh, that in a way that's going to help them be successful. Um, but I think it's one, you know, but, but at the same time, it's keeping the kids safe that are in the room and helping those kids 
to succeed. So it has to be a group activity. So do I get asked all the time, do I ever kick kids out? I kick kids out like almost every day. But it's because when I have 30 kids in a class and you are being completely out of pocket, I can't stop class every time that happens. I can't stop the learning that's happening to deal with one student. So I have to call somebody else in to help me deal with that student in the moment. And then I always follow up. So I would say one of the things that I would do is like contact parents and contact admin every single time that something happens, um, constantly be writing it up, constantly be keeping that sort of like written documentation. But also, uh, you know, I think sometimes it helps to have a conversation with that kid of like, look, um, what's, what's really going on? Like before we even go into this meeting, before we talk to your parents, before we talk to other teachers, things like that, like what's really going on? Did I do anything? You know, I've, I've said this a thousand times, Summer, I'm sure you know it. Like, is, is there anything I did that upset you? And if not, what can we do to help you be successful in class? Like, what do you want? Do you want to be in this class? Do you want to be successful? Do you want to, to, to live the life that you dream of? Um, in, even at seventh grade, like, you know, like, what do you want? And then let's work. Let's, let's start there. Uh, that sometimes I think humanizes students, lets them know that they're not their behavior and then, and empowers them to know that they can, they can do stuff. So then it's about having conversations with kids about like, well, what can we do when you start feeling that way? When you start feeling like you're going to blow up, like you're going to get angry, that you're going to get sad, that you're going to feel overwhelmed, you can put your head down, like what can we do for that? But I would, I think having that conversation one-on-one -on -one is really going to help. And then, like I said, bringing in, the admin or, or someone else to try and figure out like what, what are steps? So if so-and-so starts feeling like they're going to explode, can they step out of the classroom? Can they go to someone's office? Like, what are we doing to help that kid um, find something to do with, with the feelings that they're feeling? Okay, we're That's hard to. To Meatball Molly's question, which was about universal design for learning is an approach to teaching and learning that gives all students equal opportunity to succeed. Um, she said, I, I just wonder how that would work with standardized testing. And here's another comment by her. I just don't, I don't know if it's part of the question or not. Uh, if you have a child use speech to text to show their understanding, but you can't do that on standardized tests. Wait, so I'm sorry. Can so you read that universal again? Universal design learning is yeah. an approach to teaching and learning that gives all students equal equal opportunity to succeed yeah and she says i wonder how that would work with uh standardized testing um so i'm wondering like some of the stuff that we've done as as a school is like when we even do have standardized tests like i've been the guy in the room that like reads the whole test to every kid until we get through the whole thing um, so there's no text to speech or, or, or there's nothing that's going to help you read it. Um, that's a, that's a device, but there's a human being, um, that can do it. I think it's starting that conversation now with your special education department, with those in your department and, and figuring out together, how are we going to help these kids? Look, I think the bottom line here with, with a lot of these with a lot of the questions I'm hearing today is like, we have this saying, it's on a coffee mug somewhere that says teaching is a communal activity. And what that means is that if we start looking at, and look, so I get that some schools don't do this, right? I am currently in a scenario where 
there is the division between administration and teachers, right? And and I'm not even going to speak to like whose fault that is or what's going on with it or anything that, like that. But like sometimes admin wants to be admin and they want teachers to be teachers. And sometimes it's like teachers don't want to accept what the admins do. So there's like this division between them. That being said, if we remember that education is only ever about students, if that's what we're focusing on, then we either, if we have an unwilling administration, have to figure that out as a community of teachers as to what we're really doing. There's a thousand things, literally, that we have done over the years that admin had no idea. And it wasn't divisive. It wasn't hurtful. It was like, hey, for this kid, we're going to make sure that they have this thing. We know that if this student, if if this kid's late, they never get marked late, as long as they're there within the first 60 to 90 to seconds or, or two minutes or whatever because we just know it takes them a long time they like literally lumber down the hallway and they don't it's not a part of their their makeup to get places fast it's not a big deal right we know that this kid um that they you know whether it's looking at things with complete sentences whether it's giving them extra time whether it is taking away a number of the choices on the test and even if it doesn't say so in the iep this is what we do for these children, because we know as a collective that's going to help kids. And we then look at like, how is this going to empower them going forward? It's about figuring that stuff out together. And if you can do that with your administration, it's just all the better because then you're systematically changing the way that your school does things to help kids succeed. Because in fact, we don't always think about how are things going from the classroom to the next class of the the next class to the next grade to, you know, the SAT to the ACT to how are they going to be ready in college? Like what we don't want to do is make it too easy for them. And then when they get to college or they get to some sort of secondary uh, training that they're going to fail. Right. So it's us coming together for the benefit of children and figuring this out and stepping up sometimes and having to be the leader, having to be the initiator in those sorts of conversations, but then not letting them go because it, it, it is, if someone doesn't get back to you, like push, push back, get back to them because you need to do this for kids. And so that's how I would think about that. All right. Our next question is coming from Logan, not only for CJ, but how is everyone coping with everything going on? Anyone else feel, feel overwhelmed? Any tips? So I do feel overwhelmed regularly. Um, and I'm really working on that. Look, I'm, I, I am someone that thinks that, uh, but I know where my peace comes from. I know where my where my joy is rooted in. Um, but the day still gets me, right? There's still things that happen where like I snap, I get overwhelmed, I get frustrated, I need to like step out of the building and like go take a ride for a minute. Um but to your wife in the car. Yeah, yeah. Vent to my wife for my seven minute round trip to Dunkin Donuts every day. Uh, but it's so what I'm noticing is at least in the beginning of the year. So look, it's it's about here's what it is. It's noticing what your triggers are and noticing I heard I, I've listened to a podcast recently where this gentleman whose name I, I can't remember. Um, so there's two different states that human beings can be in. There's only two different states. You're either in a state that's a primal state where you are feeling like anger and frustration and you just want to rage and you're just pissed off or you're feeling in a powerful state. Those are the only two states that exist. Powerful state means that you feel 
love. You can feel kindness. You can feel virtue. You can feel um, like you got things like you can handle this. Even if it's something difficult, you're like ready and you're amping yourself up to feel that way. I, that makes a lot of sense to me. And so his suggestion was that like, there are a number of things that when you drop, when you go into the primal state, how do you get back to the powerful state? There are things like breathing exercises. There are things like talking to people. It's something I've talked about a lot. And I had a video not too long ago that talks about what is your pain plan? And so it's literally having a plan of when things go wrong, what are you going to do? Do you get a massage? Do you call that one friend and not the other friend? Cause you know, they're just going to commiserate with you, but the other friend that's going to help lift you out the mud. Um, do you eat some good food? Do you take the night off? Do you go play some golf? Like, what is it that you do to fill yourself back up? There has to be a plan in place to help you get there. The other thing is, I just, I mean, I've said it a thousand times, but like, and I realize some people are new, but like, um, I've just been, sometimes I say the same thing for five years and and that's okay. Uh, but it is, I think having a morning routine where you're clear, the, one of the the beautiful things about a morning routine is that you're clear on what you are going to get done that day, what needs to happen that day. And I have like a very short list of what that is going to be so that when I get, enter into my day, it's not happening to me. It's happening for me. And I can show up and I can get the things done that I need to get done. And I know that no matter what everybody else wants. I just don't do it. I just can't get it done. It's not, it doesn't fit into my schedule. Sorry. Lesson plans just don't fit in. I know that I'm going to get called to the principal's office or the vice principal's office. There's going to be a whole talk about it. They're going to talk about docking my pay or like there's going to be a whole thing about it. But what I'm doing is really working hard. I'm really getting after it. I'm really working for children. And sometimes the things just don't fit. And I refuse to work to be overwhelmed. And I'd say this one other thing, I actually <laughs> thought of this. Um, I thought of this, this might be a little cheesy, right? But I'm going I'm to read it to you anyway. Uh, it's a story um, by Lauren Isley that says, one day a man was walking along the beach when he noticed a boy picking something up and gently throwing it into the ocean. Approaching the boy, he asked, what are you doing? The youth replied, throwing starfish back into the ocean. The surf is up and the tide is going out. I, uh, if I don't throw them back, they'll die. Son, the man said, don't you realize there are miles and miles of beach and hundreds of starfish? You can't make a difference. After listening politely, the boy bent down, picked up another starfish and threw it back into the surf. Then smiling at the man, he said, I made a difference for that one. Think it is with all the kids and all the problems and all the situations and all the madness it is about looking at the task that's in front of you, doing the best possible job that you can on that, and then moving on to the next task and not looking at all the tasks, but just like that kid picking up the one starfish that you can chuck back into the ocean, um, which is a pretty violent way to send a starfish back in the ocean, I would imagine. I don't think they're used to that sort of velocity, but um, it is doing the things in front of you. And then you have to figure out a way to detach from all of the the other things the world will always ask you to do more you have to have boundaries to let them know if we because if we don't people will treat us people treat you the way you teach them to treat you so if you have boundaries if you meet people with compassion if you can say with a smile i'm so sorry that is i understand the importance of that but there's just not enough time in the day for me to get it done right now know that it's on my list and that i will work forward to getting that done but 
Right now, it's just not going to happen. That's how I tell people all the time when they want me to do something I don't want to do. I go, that's a great idea, and I think that's really important. But right now, I'm just completely booked, and I can't get it done. But I'll keep it in mind, and I'll get it done as soon as I can. And then walk off to my room confidently. I think that's I don't think people know what to say to that. Like It catches them off guard in such a, a nice and loving and way that it catches people off guard. And they're like, uh, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of or they'll get mad at you and whatever. That's a whole nother conversation. That's like 10 minutes later when it all processes. All right. Miss um, Gonzalez is asking, my mantra this year is to be happy all the time. But when the kids are being toots, I find that I am. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. Wait. <laughs> Beautiful. I love uh, it. Go ahead. But that I inadvertently slip into the serious frustrated mode suggestions on how to not be that way um kind of just addressed yeah i think it is uh miss gonzalez it is having grace for yourself knowing that it happens and then being able to bounce back so like what is your pain plan as to like if i get like that how do i snap back into it so one of the things that i've started doing i was telling my wife about this the other day um and this is slightly embarrassing but i'm gonna tell you anyway <laughs> um i just talked to myself so the other morning, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be, let's be real honest about this. The other morning, I, my morning didn't flow as nicely as I thought it was going to. I woke up, I tried to pray. The dog threw up three times while I was praying, an enormous amount of vomit. And then um, I didn't have, my wife had a migraine, so she didn't make my delicious smoothie in the morning. Um, so I just kind of aggravated, right? Cause then I was going to school and I was hungry and I had to clean up dog throw up. So I didn't have time to do anything myself. So I was just like pissed off. I was going to leave. My wife comes out to say goodbye. And I was not nice to her. I said, uh, I, like the way that I even treated her or spoke to her was like, it was her fault or she did something wrong. And then feeling all, you know, feeling myself. I like drove off and thought like, huh, you know, like, you know, that was that. And like, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, everyone's going to feel my anger now. Right. Like stupid. So I'm like driving to school and I just think to myself, I go, I like turned off the radio and I thought, no, like that was so wrong. And I literally talk to myself and I say like, you're not allowed to do that. All she does ever is help you. She does everything that she can to take the extra off my plate so that I can do the work that I have to do. My wife spins so many plates. It is, it is, mind boggling. So every time I get aggravated that she doesn't do something she said she's going to do, I have to remember, she did have a migraine. She does have a lot going on. She is doing all these other things. So then I talk to myself like we're friends. And I tell myself, you need to call your wife right now and apologize. And then do like, then I think like, I'm going to do something kind later and like, not necessarily make up for it. But like, sometimes I like to just like, um, it's like actively do something like since I actively did something that was like a jerk, I'm going to actively do something that was kind. Um, and so that, so I called my wife and we had a conversation and it was, it, things were better when I got off the phone and then um, we were able to work through it, but it's like literally stopping myself and going, wait a minute, hold on. I, I do this thing where I snap my fingers. Um, you wait a minute, you got to stop. And that's like my, my, uh, I don't know it's like Pavlov's dogs, but I'm snapping my fingers instead of my drooling. Um, but I'm reminding myself to like pause, check myself. What can I do to get back out of this state real quick? What do I need to know about this? And what can I do to back out of the state to change into something that goes from the primal to the powerful um, and then move forward? That's how I handle it all the time. Some And sometimes look, 
that can be as easy as like listening to music. Sometimes I'll just like drive to Dunkin' Donuts or take go out in my car and like listen to a song, put my AirPods in, try and find somewhere quiet in the school. And that can just reset me that easily. It doesn't have to be a big deal, but it's finding these things that are going to help you change your state. Summer Hayward is asking, how do you meet kids where they are? How do you find out where they really are and if they are playing you? Some of my kids seems some of my kids seem to need hand holding and I don't know where to draw the line. So kids might it's about I think it's about differentiating like where kids might want you and where you need them to be, right? So like there is a certain amount of hand-holding, walking kids through stuff, um, taking steps. But I think what you'll see is that, so I'll, I'll say it like this. We recently did a project and we do it at the beginning of every year. It's called the, the Life Map Project. I talked about it in my book. Um, and this project is very brief Google Slides. It's like 10 slides about you and three quotes. Um, I have kids that will sit there and when we're doing the brainstorming activity, go, I don't know anything. I can't remember anything from my life. I don't know anything. All right, well, so let's start with like, when were you born? Like that's the, the most significant moment of your life, hands down, right? Like we, nothing else happens unless we we make it out the womb. So it's, um, it's looking at that and then saying, walking them through like, do you have friends that really mean something to you? Has anyone ever been born and that has affected your life? Has anyone ever passed away and that's affected your life? You're literally sitting there with them and some kids will think about it or they say, I'm not sure, or like, I'm not sure if that meant anything to my life or whatever, like, but they're at least going through the process. There are other kids that go, I don't know. I don't know if I have any friends. I don't, I don't know. I don't really like, no. Um, did you ever join a team? No, no, I don't play sports. Um, but I thought you said, I thought I heard, heard telling somebody else earlier that you play basketball. Yeah, but I don't really play basketball. I just like, I don't, it's like, there's this sort of like, this pushback to anything i then will usually say when you go home tonight talk to a parent a brother a sister a friend an aunt an uncle someone in your life help them figure out 10 moments from your life that that meant something look what i'm getting at is like you're trying to help a kid step by step by step and often this is at the behest of like you're leaving the rest of the class alone they're not getting the attention attention they need because you're focusing in on this one child but if that becomes something that that happens consistently then this is a bigger issue and look i'll tell you what like with 30 kids in the classroom sometimes that kid has to figure it out like they just have to get it together so that i can then help the rest of the students in the class and then when you're ready when you want to do something great i had a kid the other day we we come into to class it was on a friday we're doing a vocab test the first vocab test and uh, they come into the room and the first thing we do is review with them. We have them review by themselves. Then we give them the assessment. The student goes over to my couch. I say, you're not supposed to be on the couch right now. What I need you to do is like, just come over to your desk. We're going to run through this together. Like I need you to be able to see the board so we can engage in this together. Um, he doesn't want to, doesn't tell me that he's ready or anything like that. Just doesn't do it. So then um, I ask him one more time to please come back over to his seat. And I'm, and the, but then I'm dealing with other kids. I'm trying to help kids find their cards. I'm trying to help kids figure out what's going on with life and like all these things. When the test goes out, I turn around. The student is asleep now on the couch. I say, bro, you need to come back over to your seat. I'm not, if this happens again, I'm gonna have to call someone and they're gonna have to have a conversation with you. The student does not wake up. So I just gave him a zero. I left him there for the rest of the period. I just don't have more time than that 
to engage with you. I'm not going to wake you up. I'm not going to wait for you to get to your seat. And then you have to find a pencil. Then you want to review for a second because you didn't know what was going on. There's a whole thing. It's like, nah, bro, you just take the zero. Then I put the zero in power school. I put a comment in power school and I emailed the parent. Hey, your student got a zero on the vocab test today because they refused to wake up and sit in their seat. I tried to speak to them several times going forward. Just so you know, if a student sleeps through a test, they're not allowed to retake it unless there was some sort of like extenuating circumstance, right? Like a pet diet, something's going on at home, whatever. But if that's not the case, then just know going forward, this is this is it. The end. It's done. I'm never dealing with it again, right? So the next time the kid comes in, now they had a zero last week. And if they that behavior happens again, like they sit on the couch even once, bro, you, you have one opportunity to move from the couch to the seat, or I'm going to call somebody in to come and talk to you about it. So it's like it is setting up asking so little from a student and if they can't do it then just saying nope like i'm going to talk to your caseworker i'm going to talk to a parent we're going to figure something out because something's going on but what you're doing is if you can't incentivize for a kid what you can do is say then look i gotta call home here's what this conversation is going to look like when i call home it's going to look like hey mom i your student was sitting on the couch and this is what i asked them to do or whatever whatever your case may be um but then you'll in in a few weeks really start getting a sense of like who kids are and what they're about and what they're capable of and know where you should be spending and and uh focusing your attention and then those kids that kids that fall asleep and that kid starts failing because he starts failing everything then it's like hey look when you're ready i'll never give up on you but i just have to like i need you to show up to the gym to work out like i'm not going to come to your house and wake you up and get you dressed and drive you to the gym all I need you to do is meet me at the gym. Once you show up at the gym, bro, it's game on. I'm ready to help you in any way, shape, or form that I can. But that I think that's that's how I typically handle those things. Zach is asking, um, question, hi Reynolds, I'm teaching psychology to ESL students in China. English ability ranges from zero to excellent. I don't have curriculum support. How can I design a useful curriculum? Uh, gosh, oof. Zach. Uh, so one, um, I'm curious. At, this is one of those things where like, I'm not, and I'm not sure what the, what the protocol is in China, but like, is there a curriculum director that even if they're not going to help you create a curriculum, there's someone to speak to as to how this best, this works best. Um, it is so that's part of it. It's it's like working within your school, within the dynamics of the things that have already been created. Are there resources available or people available that are going to help you to meet the needs of those specific students? So like the kids that speak excellent English, of course, like that's that would be where you would hope your curriculum would be created. But, but then there, when you're dealing with students that don't speak English, what are we doing for them? I'd also then figure out. I think, so look, th this is just spitballing me an idea. There might be someone in here that actually knows what to do or um, even going to our Facebook group, um, which uh, is Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk on Facebook. If you go in there, I almost guarantee you're going to find people. We have friends that teach in China that are part of the Facebook group that if you pose a question about that, they might even be able to help you because China might have like, you know, different places have very specific needs, right? So I can't say like, it's just not, it, it's just not about not knowing the language, but like it's the culture and, and things of that nature. Um, I would try and figure out where are all of my students? So are, are the majority of my students 
English speaking to from English speakers, like excellent English speakers to where, like to how, like, is it conversational English? Is it very basic English? Like what is the majority? I would create a curriculum that was developed for those individuals. The students that don't speak English, I think it's about helping them. Like then you're sort of creating this, this, this other thing for them to help scale them up. Cause that, to not know English and to have to take such a complex class as psych as psychology is really difficult. Um, so I think it's about find you're then finding resources that you're going to supplement. Like, okay, the rest of the class is doing this, but for you, we're going to do this until we get your until your speaking ability, like, is I don't know. You're more you're more capable of handling this stuff because you because the language is there. I also think that in my in my experience with this. It does like when kids are immersed in in English like that, it is something that comes fairly quickly. Like I just think back to when I spoke when I taught in Camden, I would speak. Um, I had this one young woman who just came from the Dominican Republic and uh, she grew really rapidly because I partnered her with someone else in the class. So um, th these two young women like would work together and then I'd create something after school so that all the students that spoke English as a second language would show up after school for like 30 minutes every day. And we'd go over the content again, but in like a really rapid form, like a, like a spark notes version. But then those kids would help each other learn this stuff. And then everyone was in the same boat. So no one felt silly or dumb or weird. They were all in the same boat and we made it like a party every day. It was like, we had snacks every day and music and we were like just kicking it for 30 minutes. But like with the intention that we're going to help these students grow into who they need to be. Because the fact of the matter is, is that the English is going to be the only differentiator is, is like your single largest um, issue. So it's like creating a curriculum where that's not necessary uh, to me, right? Like I might be completely wrong here, but where that's not the driving focus is learning English. It's learning psychology and then it's differentiating from there. But I would focus, I would base that on like the majority, where are the majority of your students coming in at? Like where, where is their like language um, capability like in the majority? Christina. Who do we know in China? Who Who's the music teacher we know in China? Uh, I'm blanking on her name all of a sudden. I don't remember. I, know. I don't know why I'm blanking on it all of a sudden, but cool. Um, sorry, Christina Gonzalez is asking, how do I work with a class that has several extremely defined kids? I just started and they had uh, a month and a half of with this level. Got it. First of all, Christina Gonzalez, one of my favorite students of all time. I had, um, she's, uh, I teach deaf ed, I think on Instagram. Oh, I've yeah. seen her a lot. Like yeah. she was fantastic. Um, you know, if someone so look there there are there are levels to this right there are levels of like there are kids that that are defined for any number of reasons classroom management when we think about things like classroom management right it is managing behaviors in the classroom to help students find success but there are only there's only so far that should even have to go like if you have kids that are completely out of pocket, right? Like I occasionally will get students that like are violent towards other kids. They are um, disruptive on a really subversive and and kind of like um, like a like a messed up level. Like they're they're just 
trying, they're actively trying to hurt people emotionally, physically. Um, they are trying to disrupt the class on purpose. But and look, I, and, and I don't even fault those kids because that's that's coming out of somewhere, right? Like your your behavior comes from somewhere. It either comes from a lack of parenting, some sort of childhood trauma, some sort of like um, stuff going on in your own body because you are trying to figure out who you are and what you're about, or you, um, you like you are, you're trying to navigate the world and it's frustrating. And so you're just like, Oh, I'm going to ruin it for everyone. So that's, it's coming from somewhere. It's not just coming from nowhere, but teachers can't be the be all end all. Like this is a back to that communal piece, right? It's like, it's being able to send students out because I can't teach a class if someone's doing like, um, I'll say this the other day I heard about a kid in school that was riding a skateboard around the classroom. And so it's like, I don't have time to deal with this. And if you don't want to give me the skateboard and you don't want to sit down, then bro, you got to go. Like I'm here to, I'm here to like, I'm here to teach, but I'm only, I can only teach you if you're willing. I can't. And I there's only so much, like when I say lead a horse to water, um, we all know this thing, right? You can lead a horse to water. You can't make it drink, but you can make it really thirsty. I can make things so engaging that hopefully the majority of students will buy in. Um, but sometimes you have students that aren't going to buy in that no matter what you do, they're going to hate it. They're going to try and ruin it. They're going to mess it up. And all that means, it doesn't mean that kids are evil. doesn't mean they're bad. doesn't mean that they need to get kicked out or whatever. It means that they need more help and they need a different kind of help than you can provide in this context, right? You don't have time to sit down and do a therapy session or, or, or have a long conversation with a kid when you're in the middle and you only have 45 minutes to teach this whole lesson. And now 30 kids aren't getting the lesson because one won't stop. It is about calling for help. And when you do that, a lot of teachers have a problem with this because they think that I had a principal one time when I taught in Camden that when I first got hired, he said, if you send a kid out, what you really just send out is your power and your dignity. Bro, what? That's the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. What I'm doing is saying, we need to work on this together. What happens in my classroom isn't solely just in my classroom. I need someone to come in and help deal with this, this dude so that I, I so that I can teach my class and then let's follow up later. So I would start calling home. I'd start calling the office. I'd start making a plan for those defiant children um, so we can get that wheel moving. And then it's about, I think, having incentivizing things so that kids can see like, all right, if I do all this, it's going to lead to this, but getting them to really believe it. I, I think that kids that are defiant and that act up in a classroom largely th th like what, what, so one of the reasons I, I, that students do this is because they don't think this leads to anything. They don't think that they're worth it or that this is going to be beneficial to them in any way. So why would I behave if this is just stupid, if I don't have to really do it? Like why, why would I pay attention anyway? So it's about, building a sense of belief but you have to do that as a community a lot of times you can't do it on your own so i i figure out a way that like going in tomorrow like all right kid gets three warnings and then they're put out someone's going to come down and speak to them they're going to call mom we're going to have a meeting um what do we need to do to help the student be successful in class that's what the conversation needs to look like too it's not just what are we going to do when someone's bad it's what do we do to help this kid find success that's the name of the game for that conversation 
We'll do one more question. Cool. Um, Summer Tate is asking, my school has been the victim of devious licks, and I have been charged with leading a kindness campaign to promote kindness. Any ideas? I have 18 students who will be a part of this effort with you. I talk to kids about this, and I say, this, this is disgusting, right? We're living in the middle of a pandemic. You can't go around licking things. And they go, that's not what it is. I'm like, it is. It's licking things deviously, and that's disgusting. Right. So can we first just talk about not licking stuff? So if someone steals soap things from the bathroom, like I heard people were in the bathroom licking things from the bathroom. And that's disgusting. So that's one way I deal with. It. I've been dealing with this. Um, you know, anyone that can. If you whatever's cool, kids do. Right. And I think if you can make it seem like um, it's a subversive activity, like it's a low key, like ninja activity, it's even cooler. When I was growing up. Um, I really got into uh, this thing. We used to call it vigilante gardening. And now it's it's a whole movement that's called guerrilla gardening. But what guerrilla gardening essentially is, and that we did before we even knew this existed, was like you find that one property in the neighborhood. You go there, and I love gardening. So it's like let's rip out all the weeds. Let's mow the lawn as fast as we can, edge it, leaf blow it, and get out of there. Like as fast as humanly possible. We were like, we were like NASCAR pit crews in, in there, right? So it was like, you'd see that someone wasn't home. We're just going to go fix this up and then dip. Or you can plant a garden somewhere and you do this at night, right? You can do it at night. You can go around. You can like find a place that really needs to be gardened. You get flowers and you show up in the middle of the night and you, and you plant them. Or, um, and I used to make these with my students, seed bombs. You get compost. You mix it with a little bit of uh, of clay and then and water. And then you put sunflower seeds or, or like something that's going to grow like prolifically without a lot of without a lot of help but sunflowers are good for that so you put sunflower seeds in there you round them up into little balls that look like meatballs you leave them in the sun when they dry you now have this seed bomb you can chuck them over fences and in the vacant lots and in all the like into like rail yards and stuff and then when they hit the ground they will either break apart or the rain will disintegrate it and then it has everything it needs to become it has compost and a seed to become a plant here's what i like about this and here's what it means for you sometimes that that was more interesting to like and i used to do this with students too that was more interesting as i got older and, and to do it with students because they felt like they were doing something that was like all right what are we going to do we're going to go around and we're going to do this thing that we're not supposed to be doing. Um, and then we're going to surprise someone with joy. So it's just it to, for us and for my students, it was about doing this thing that was, that was a little bit nerve wracking. That was exciting because you weren't sure you should be doing it. So like whose, whose classroom could we fill with balloons? Whose office could we fill with balloons? Whose, um, room could we decorate like it was going to be a party who walks into a room we hit him with silly string and confetti um i have this long since wanted to do this idea of having elevator parties where me and a number of colleagues would be on an elevator and as soon as the elevator doors closed we'd have like like streamers and lights and music and then it would stop as soon as you got to the next level it would open up and everyone would just go back to being normal but you were like having it while the doors were closed it is trying to think of things like that, that are like going to surprise people with joy. So it's not just decorating the hallways and doing things that are like kind of normal. Um, and I say that like when I say summer that I think in just a little bit that I've gotten to know you, that you are the exact right person for this sort of like subversive 
operation of bringing joy and sprinkling magic all over your school, I think it, that is a hundred percent the case. Like you, you are the right person to be able to go. What can we do? What would be weird and wonderful and awesome and fun and silly um, that we could just surprise people with joy? Uh, I think once you start doing that, it makes it attractive to kids and then other people want to get in on it and stuff like that. So it's fun. It's yeah. Like, it's contagious is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all this is online. It's like, what can we do? What's the craziest thing we can do? Can we fill then I like me in high school or me now? I'm like, someone filled an office with balloons. Let's fill a classroom with balloons. Let's fill a lunchroom with balloons. balloons. I like filling places with really I love balloons exactly. and confetti and <laughs> bubbles a lot. Um, but it's thinking of that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, you know, let, let's follow up on that. I'd love to know like what you come up with and what you do. I mean, that might be stuff that's just good for everyone to be able to do to take back to their schools in some way or or at least inspire. Uh, something to do that because there's a lot of this kind of stuff happening on TikTok between the stealing things, between like uh, slapping teachers' butts uh, for a dare. So it's like instead, why couldn't we just make something cool, fun? Like let's just you know have surprise cereal parties because I also love, I'm actually about to go eat some some Count Chocula right now. That's all I'm going to do. But look, gang, it's two twelve. The Eagles are on, and I finally finally got some version of cable so i can watch the eagles game i got youtube tv this week and so um we're gonna go do that uh and then eat some chili because that's what i'm doing for the rest of my sunday today if there's anything else that you need please 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 show up next sunday if you need to you can bring a friend um and show up every sunday 1 p.m eastern standard time where we do this show uh and and try and help people get into the week uh in an excited way um if you need anything else, you can go rate the real rap with Reynolds.com and uh, we'd be happy to help you with anything there. And that's it. That's it. That's it. Cool. See you next week. Peace. Yeah.